Mm-hmm. And I remember going to, to meet them and saying, hey, guys, it's time for me to, to shut down. And they were like, are you crazy, man? You've built yourself into a position where we want to work with you for the next however many years. By this stage, that, that particular business was was driving like three, 400 grand revenue. And I was working like 20 hours a week. I just couldn't stop myself from doing what I felt like I had to do. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like minded entrepreneurs and of course some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On the podcast today, I'm very happy to introduce entrepreneur, personal growth leader, and flow state master, Zero Taylor. Zero is the founder of a movement that helps entrepreneurs grow personally and find a deeper awareness in their work and lives. It's called Flow State Collective. Today, we will learn why Zero's dissolved a very successful company after creating a high level of income in a very short period of time. It can be a bit counterintuitive to leave hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table to follow your passion. This is exactly what Zero did, and he shares why it was one of the best decisions of his life. For those of you out there that are in this spot and are wanting to make a leap into the next stage of your life, and those of you out there that want to learn more about the science of Flow State, this is the episode for you. And without further ado, let's welcome Zero Taylor to the show. How you doing, Zero? I'm awesome, man. I'm doing really well. It's it's fairly early. It's 7 a.m. over in uh, Noosa, uh, northern Queensland, Australia, where I'm at. But uh, yeah, I'm doing very well, my man. How about you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for asking. And we want to jump into the show and start off learning about you and how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. So if you could just start at the best, most relevant points in your life, and we'll go from there. Sure. So I'm the founder of the Flow State Collective, which is a global tribe of uh, entrepreneurial people who are looking to achieve business growth, but also inner growth, also self-development. And I run a bunch of adventures uh, and programs and masterminds um, to help people achieve those goals. So how did I get here? Well, I was I spent most of my uh, career. When I was um, in my 20s, I was very far from being an entrepreneur. I was I was in the corporate world for most of my 20s. I spent the early part of my 20s actually as a, as kind of like a traveling surfer, snowboarder, kind of like <laughs> hobo, just absorbing wisdom and traveling and learning languages and, and just having a great time. And then by the time I hit 24, um, I kind of felt this big pull um, probably because I felt a little bit behind all my friends who had already been earning money for a few years, and I felt this big pull to to go in and do what my culture says I should do, which is go and earn lots and lots of money. Um, so I jumped into the corporate world, uh, working in London and then Hong Kong, and uh, I did that for a few years, but I found it intensely unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably an understatement. <laughs> and I always had uh, I, I had I had deep yearnings to. I guess the underlying driver was to be free, and I and I and I associated entrepreneurship with with freedom, um, and so that began my kind of quest um, to learn from scratch. Um, first of all, to, to to sort of summon up the courage to to leave behind the safety of the paycheck um, and that career path, and then to to jump into my entrepreneurial journey. Um, 
Yeah, so that was that was the start of my entrepreneurial journey was back in 2010. That's when I started my first company, which is not the same company as I've got now. What was the very first company you started, Jiro? In the corporate world, I was working as a, a headhunter in the finance industry. So I was a, a, a consultant for hedge funds and trading firms, and I would help them find talents and um, source them intelligence and um, kind of be their ears and, and eyes on the ground. So my first business was me spinning out of a company that I was working for and, and launching my own boutique. Um, so it was kind of like a, a natural transition into entrepreneurship because it was, you know, an area that I was very familiar with. I view it now, looking back, I view it as a stepping stone um, to where I'm at now. Um, I never had long-term intentions to actually be in that particular industry, but it was fantastic to have a first uh, business venture that was an area that I had expertise in. I had contacts. Um, I had the skill set and knowledge to, to drive revenue pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, that was my that was my first business. Was uh, yeah, me starting a boutique uh, headhunting business, operating the finance industry based in Sydney. How long did you have that business for? I ran that business for two years. Okay, and. Can you tell us a little bit about your time running that business and eventually I'd like to get to why you decided to transition out of that business sure. in the process. Yeah. At the time it was really 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 challenging. Um mm. <laughs> certainly <laughs> certainly for the fir- for, for the first year. Um so just to give you some background. So um I I launched this in 2010 and there was Still, the you know it's in the finance industry, so I'm sure the listeners will remember. Then 2008, 2009, there was the kind of like the you know the second great recession of our times, <laughs> and you know banks were firing people left, right, and center. Stock prices were being driven down. It was kind of like doom and gloom. And if you think about what a headhunter does, a headhunter um, does the hiring for these financial institutions, and kind of like. It's a commission-based uh, kind of industry, so yeah. you you eat what you kill. What that means is, like, if <laughs> if you make deals, um, then you make then you make money. Um, if there's no deals to be made, then there's no money to be made. If there's no hiring going on, then there's literally no money to be made in that industry. So um, I kind of launched my first uh, startup in the midst of the well, sort of like the aftermath of a recession, mm-hmm. um, and I also did it with my ex-partner. Uh, who was my partner at the time? Who was my fiance at the time? Okay. And uh, <laughs> and <laughs> let's just put it this way: those first six months were like probably the hardest six months of my life. We ended up uh, breaking up, um, not to do with the business, but just the relationship was going downhill anyway. I ended up having to liquidate all my assets. Um, I was pretty much down to, to my last ten grand, um, and I just had to sell. You know, like everything that I owned just to just just because the cash flow just wasn't coming in you, I started the business with sort of lofty unrealistic expectations of clients coming over to me and and me being able to find deals but the but the reality of the situation was that it was a tough 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 market mm-hmm. um, but I hung in there and I, you know the first <laughs> the first month I'm sure you'll resonate with this but for the, the first month I was literally high on the freedom of not working for someone else <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'd roll out of bed and and you know do my commute to my lounge room <laughs> via my kitchen and I'd like 
I'd like work in my board shorts and my and my underwear just because I could. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I was just super stoked on on like just having complete freedom in my life. And that that sense of kind of like liberation um, got me through the first couple of months. And then and then I realized that hang on a second, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> because and I'm, this is, I'm sure this is so familiar to so many entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But this realization that when, you, when you're in the corporate world or, or you're in like the nine to five getting your paycheck and you look over the fence at the entrepreneurial route, you're like, I can do that. that that's, that's just the same as what I do. And then you jump into the entrepreneurial route and you're like, holy shit. I have to do everything. I have to do like deal acquisition. I have to do marketing. I, I have to answer the phones. I have to pay the bills. I have to like sort out, like literally buy the coffee and the tea. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like <laughs> all like the, the things that you take for granted, uh, you find yourself doing. And for me, I, the, the first couple of months were like a real schooling in self-management, you know? Yeah. Like c- coming away from companies where actually – in hindsight, I was actually extremely – the cultures of the companies that I came from, and this is very typical of recruitment and headhunting, but they're, they're very much like uh, sales cultures with a lot of KPIs, a lot of key performance indicators and a lot of targets. And there's always someone on top of you, yeah. like keeping you accountable. Like every single day, month, quarter, year – you've got you've got metrics and so if you think about going from that environment to kind of like a free form shapeless self-management environment of like rolling out of your bed and working in your pants all day then (laughs) all the structure all the structure was taken away and and it took me a a few months to actually slap myself in the face and be like whoa 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 jira you need to create some structure here um and that's when i began to start to turn things around How'd you first go about getting your clients, Jiro? My my transition from working for the man to working for myself was was a little bit like the movie Jerry Maguire. Uh-huh. Um, have you watched that movie? I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know how Jerry Maguire was like super passionate when he's doing his goldfish speech, and right. he, and he's all about um, less clients, more loyalty, less clients, more service, mm-hmm. and. That was kind of my, my vibe. It was, yeah, I was young and idealistic, but actually I pulled it off. I, it worked. So my intention was to work with uh, less clients, be very selective about the clients I worked with, but do as much as, but just over-service them, but just, just like absolutely, um, just just give them the best possible service I could possibly give them. Just give them the best intel on the market, source them the best candidates. Um, and so what the, the the industry the, the sort of sector i was in when i was working for the for the company i was working for investment banks so my clients were literally you know goldman sachs and jp morgan and morgan stanley and people like that uh-huh. and then when i started out on my own i was like no i don't want to deal with middlemen and hr and you know just i, I want to deal with actually entrepreneurs people who own their businesses so i created a i, I just decided to target a whole new niche which was like small and emerging trading firms, privately owned trading firms, um, where I knew for a fact that the owners were still part of the the management structure um, because I really wanted, I, I really loved the consulting side of the business where, 
you know, headhunting is a, a very fascinating game. And in one sense, it can be very transactional. Like, hey, uh, we need we need X, Y, and Z talent, and you go and find X, Y, and Z, and then and then you kind of negotiate the deal, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it can be very it can be very interesting and consolidative if you if you actually manage to work with the right sort of company and align with their values and you can start getting into the nuances of company culture you can start becoming a trusted advisor for the company and you can start screening out talent who just don't fit culturally and you can start attracting in talent that really fit the values of the company and that's the stuff that kind of uh, made me excited so i steered i decided to i i, I targeted I got clear on what my target market was, and then I just aggressively um, learned and, and studied and trained to become an expert in that particular space. Mm-hmm. And then I approached um, the clients, and there weren't many of them. You know, there was probably a, a list of like 12 possible companies that I could possibly work for in that particular niche that I decided. Um, and I decided which ones I wanted to work only for. And I basically ended up having two clients that. Um, that were my, you know, loyal clients, and I and I'm proud to say I probably did like, for one of those clients, I probably did 100 percent of their business because I focused so much on on overservicing them. So let's hop into the moment or the time period while you're running that business and you decided to step away from it because, you know, it, over the two years, I believe you created a, a successful business. Would you call it a yep. successful? Yeah. And yeah, for sure. So what inspired you or demotivated you to step away from something that's working successfully and giving you good revenue? Yeah, great question. Um, It just wasn't scratching my itch, Chris. (laughs) It just just was not scratching the itch. When I I sat down and I thought about where I wanted to be in, in 10 years or 20 years or even, you know, what I wanted to be doing the next year. I mean, this is the thing, man. Like, we evolve, right? We, we change, we grow, we become different people. We're not the same person that we were when we were 25 years old. Right. So as, as we evolve, you know, our, our values, what we demand from life changes. And for me, that was reflected in the sense that there was there was a limit to the value that I could drive as as a headhunter. Even though I was, I, you know, I was doing, did, did my Jerry Maguire thing where it was less clients, more service. At the end of the day, my role was still to provide talent to these companies, and I felt like I had it within me. I had greater potential to drive more of a meaningful impact in the world. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. and at this particular time, um, well. For, the, for, for many years preceding that, I'd been on a very personal journey of growth. Um, when I was, you know, in my 20s, working in Hong Kong and London in the skyscrapers, I was actually a very fearful, insecure human. You know, even, even though I was earning a lot of money and, you know, I had kind of like the outside trappings of a successful human being, mm-hmm. on the inside, I actually felt kind of like scared. Um, scared of not being enough, scared of not having enough, scared of letting like my family members down, kind of just lots of the financial type of fears as well. So I was going through a personal evolution to deal with those fears, um, to gain great deals uh, of self-clarity and self-knowledge. And I was kind of embarked, the whole time I was on this very sort of entrepreneurial journey, I was also on a very spiritual journey of 
developing a greater awareness of my purpose, my potential. And this was actually a great driver for um, my, my, my performance and my confidence levels. Like I, I just, I, as, as I embarked on this journey to greater self-awareness, I became full of self-belief. And, you know, whatever blocked me before in my 20s from going after what I truly wanted in life no longer blocked me in my 30s. So the, the, the move from that industry to setting up Flow State, which is what I do now, was kind of like this natural process of, I don't know, like purpose emerging. Like, like if you kind of think of like how a, how a tree grows and you give it like enough sunlight and water, then eventually through this natural process of growth, it starts to yield foliage or fruit or seeds or nuts or whatever mm -hmm. and uh, that's kind of how I felt it was it, it wasn't it wasn't a contrived strategic maneuver like it, it was just kind of like this unstoppable force within me that kind of said hey it's time to s step up and do what you were put here to do so when I launched flow state it was without a business plan it was without a clear strategy I just had the absolute clear intent that I was going to help people transition, make the same transition that I had made from a state of limitation and self-doubt to a state of complete, radical, authentic purpose and freedom. So, <laughs> what? And, and, that, and that was it, man. I know it sounds nuts. There was no business <laughs> plan. There was no, there, was, there was no clearer picture than that. But what I was doing was I was just... I was passionate about it. I was like, you know, I, I was passionate about this idea that when you start to do certain practices, you know, I was like doing a lot of meditation work. I was doing a lot of other, other types of practices as well. And I was redesigning my whole life. I was reading a whole different type of thing. And I was really just on an on a, on a accelerated growth path. And I was passionate about helping people who feel trapped and limited in this world. Um, entrepreneurial people like me um, who for so many years felt limited by their, by their own self-limits. I felt super passionate about helping people do something about that so they could launch um, and they could start to become part of the solutions in this world because it really doesn't help anybody if people are just living in self-limitation and fears. Right. So that was the burning passion. And then like the first thing that I launched was kind of randomly was 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 adventure retreats snowboard retreats where i was teaching people about uh peak performance mindset uh i was talking i was I'd, I'd by this stage i'd become an expert on flow states and and peak states of consciousness um and i ran a i ran an adventure retreat to japan where uh, a bunch of people came and we went snowboarding by day and then and then we'd come back to the chalet and we'd learn about the neuroscience of peak performance. We'd learn meditation techniques. We'd learn about flow states. We'd learn about certain breath techniques to come into higher states. Um, and that kind of just emerged from me. And from that, um, I like doors just started opening. I, um, it, my path became clear. And within a few months, I was uh, coaching, mentoring Silicon Valley entrepreneurs on how to be higher performing founders. Wow. Um, yeah, it just kind of happened. Jiro, I want to ask you, um, did you launch Flow State before you closed uh, your first business? So, yes and no. Um, 
<laughs> yes, in the terms, yes, in the sense that there was a crossover. Uh, whilst whilst they, whilst I had the first business, I mm-hmm. was I was writing like a madman. I was researching and writing like a madman. I was like reading everything I could find on flow states. Uh, this this state of consciousness where we're in the zone, we're in a peak state. I became absolutely fascinated by that concept of mm-hmm. um, our state of mind. And so whilst I had the other business, I was just geeking out hard. I, I would basically scale down the hours that I worked on that business because everything was, was going well financially. And, and I just allowed myself to just immerse in the study of, of all of this. But it wasn't until I actually I made a clear decision to shut one down before I launched the other um, because I wanted to I wanted I wanted to have complete, you know, I, I know a lot of people like to have both going at the same time for a buffer and, and often it works financially to do it that route. But for me, it was like, nah, I need an absolute clean start to launch from. Um, I want full, radical, 100% commitment. So I, I remember going in to meet, you know, pretty much the one client that uh, was my sole revenue source. Mm-hmm. And I remember going in to, to meet them and saying, hey, guys, um, you know, I love working for you, but it's time for me to, to, to shut down. And they were like, are you crazy, man? You're like, you're, you've built yourself into a position where we trust you. You're our sole provider. Um, we want to work with you for, for the next however many years. Um, and I just, you know, there wasn't any doubt whatsoever in my mind. Wow. Even though, you know, it, yeah, like... By this stage, that that particular business was was driving like three, four hundred grand revenue, and I was working like twenty hours a week. Um, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so a lot of people thought it was a crazy decision, or could have been a crazy. Yeah, a lot decision. of people did. Yeah, my family did and everything, but I just couldn't stop myself from doing what I felt like I had to do. Yeah. So I I, I told those guys the deal. I shut down the business, um, and then I, I launched Flow State. And let me tell you, it felt like, I don't know, like, <laughs> I, I guess it felt like, in a sense, coming out of the closet, you know, like <laughs> when you sort of like had been pretending for a while, uh-huh. um, pretending to be really passionate about financial headhunting, right. pretending to like really actually care, but deep down you really don't give a shit. Right. And, then, <laughs> and then you come out and you're like, hey, world, this is what I am passionate about. This is the business that I'm going to express this passion through. It kind of felt amazing, man. <laughs> I, I'm curious, Zero, if you could kind of give some tips to the listeners because I've met a lot of entrepreneurs that are out there and they're running a successful business, but they have these passions on the side or passion for another business, but you know they're making really good money, $300,000, $400,000 a year, and they think it's just stupid that to, to drop one and take up the other and that, that they should, you know, hire somebody to take it over to reduce even more of their hours of their physical working hours and then start something else. So being that you went through that experience and having a successful business, creating really good revenue for yourself, what would you tell any listeners that are out there that are going through something like you went through? Look, I mean, it's a very, very, very personal decision, but essentially, and I'm going to put my my hippie hat on, and then I'm going to take it off and, and give some more rationality. <laughs> but 
my my feeling is that you could, every every decision you make in life, you're either making it from a place of fear, or you're not. And if you're not making it from a place of fear, you're making it from a place of abundance or love or whatever language you like to use. So, if you can trace, if you can ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I staying in this? Are you are you staying in it because you're afraid? Because you're afraid of not having enough or not being enough or some other sort of insecurity. It's often around financial fears. And look, I understand if you've got kids to mouths to feed and you've got all sorts of debt obligations, then then absolutely you've got to do what you've got to do. But if you can get to the position where you can understand that there's something within you that you have to unleash, that it's it becomes unstoppable. If you feel like you have a sense of purpose, if you feel like there is a gift or a contribution that you need to make to the world using this one life that we've been given, then I would say that get super clear on what that is. Like make it, hone it down, refine it, study it. Like become like an absolute, become obsessive about the idea that's going to take you out of what you're doing. And my, my belief is that if you, if, you do, if you do that route, if you actually study it and become a master of a particular small domain that really fascinates you, then the process that will happen for me is, is that my confidence began to soar because I was becoming so interested. Like my, my, the wholeness of me, like every, every part of me was becoming engrossed and enthralled by this new area of flow states that I was researching. And so that just, it just, it was just pouring out of me, man. Like, you know, if, you, if so my, my advice to someone else is to, if you, if you don't yet have a clear idea of the next thing that you're going to do, which is kind of like the thing that keeps, in my experience, it keeps most people stuck in this, doing the thing that they don't want to do. So if you don't yet have a clear idea of what it is that you want to do, then look at this as a research project. You, whilst, you're on, whilst you're doing what you're doing, on the side, just become a student of life, a student of these interests. Like every single string that's dangling in front of you, pull it, pull the thread and see what emerges from that. Like study what other people are doing, um, study like how it could be turned into a business model. Um, but I believe that the clearer, like the clearer or more powerful the sense of uh, purpose or the kind of sense of calling around the new idea, the less fear there will be around plunging into that idea. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Now, Zero, uh, I want to ask you, how long have you been running Flow State Collective now? Well, since 2012. And what is Flow State for you? Not the business, but the noun or mm. however you want to define that word. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess it could be a noun or an adjective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so for me... Flow state is is my is my highest state of being. It's my most engaged, immersed, joyful, high performing state, where I am not blocked by insecurities and thoughts and limitations, and I just let myself go, or I just let go to let flow. Now, if you were to speak to a psychologist or a neuroscience about flow states, they would call it the uh, a state of consciousness in which your your ego and your sense of time is diminished 
which allows you to immerse fully in the action in which you are partaking. So, and if you were to ask a, a Buddhist monk or a karate or a kung fu expert, they would talk to you about flow states as being the natural rhythm of the universe. They would talk about flow as being like this undercurrent to life that is always there and we can tap into if we allow ourselves to. So I've just given you kind of like three different angles there. One is personal. It's like your highest, most joyful state of immersion in something mm -hmm. where you just have no limits. And it's that fearless state, whether you're skiing or whether you're writing, where you're just completely in it. And another one is that psychological state where parts of your brain actually shut down, which allows you to fully immerse. And then there's this sort of more esoteric or Eastern stance on flow state, which is like this flow that's naturally always happening in the universe that we can tap into. Now, what are some ways to get into flow state that you use or that you teach personally? I actually design my whole life to be in flow states as much as I possibly can. So first of all, it's that idea of designing your life. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, the biggest obstacle to living more of your life in this state of flow are the obstacles to flow. It's, it sounds obvious, but actually it's quite profound if you think about it. Like the more that we can remove the things that block us from flow, the more that we will flow. And, and a very simple example of this, man, is if, is if you or I were to jump off this call and we were to immerse, let's just say we were to immerse in a, in a, in a writing project. We were, we were creating a new, a new article, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the very simple way to make sure that you're in flow to write that article, first of all, is to create an environment where there is no distractions. Because distractions is like kryptonite for flow. It's like the, the anti-flow. Yeah. So like I, I literally shut down devices. I literally go offline. I tell like I, I block it out of my calendar. I create like almost like this sacred space of no distractions because I know that every time I get distracted, even if it's by just a ping on my phone, then it's actually the cost of that. Like, and they've done research on this, but it could take you, it could cost up to 20 minutes in terms of getting back into that previous state yeah. of flow. Yeah. So that's rule number one. Uh, remove whatever it is that blocks you from flow. So, so I do most of my work in these three to four hour chunks every morning. I'm, I'm talking about like my most complex creative work. Um, and I, call, I, I, I do them in flow sessions. And I actually, if you jump on uh, www.flowstate.co, you'll see like this uh, button for flow sessions and you can just download it. But it's this framework that I created to help you do your work in these three to four hour bursts where there's actually like a five-step formula uh, for doing it. And, you know, some of, this is, some of this is based on the interviews that I've done with neuroscientists about how our brains operate. Um, but the, the essence of getting into flow is, first of all, to remove what distracts you. And then it's to get super clear. Like um, goals are a very essential part of flow states. So you need to know exactly what your desired outcome is and you need to have a feedback mechanism built in. So if you're a, if you're a tennis player, right, if you're Roger Federer, um, you know exactly the lines of the court. You know what is in and what is out. You know what constitutes winning a game. You know what constitutes a double fault. There's all these feedback mechanisms that are helping you stay aligned um, and stay in flow. But if you were to imagine like this imaginary game where there's no lines on the court, 
where there's no net, where there's and, and and you're just like firing balls at each other, but there's no scoring system. Like that's that's the equivalent of an environment with no goals and no feedback mechanism. So we've got to create the goals and feedback mechanism in our in our own workflow, and that will create us achieve more flow. And then the other most powerful way to do it is to what I call front load the thinking. So for example, Chris, if you were let's just stick with that idea of you to, to write an article um, mm-hmm. after this call. Um, front loading the thinking means that let's just say you've allocated yourself uh, 90 minutes and you've set yourself a target of smashing this, this piece out in 90 minutes. Okay. So front loading the thinking means that you're going to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes mind mapping, bullet pointing, listing, writing out f- frameworks and just unloading your mind so that all the, all the ideas are, are just like you're in a flurry of thinking, right? So right. that you know exactly what the intro is, you know what the conclusion is, you know what the main takeaways for the reader are, you know what your objectives are, okay? So that's what I, that's what I mean by front-loading the thinking. And then once that is all done, then I would do a series of practices. I would make sure that I'm in a distraction-free environment. I would do some, some awareness of my breath, just like kind of like just just like focusing so purely on my breath so that my mind becomes honed. And then now that the thinking's all been done, I can immerse into this almost, well, yes, it is. It's a subconscious state where I can actually just get into this state of flow. And I'm sure you've been in that state, Chris, when, when, you know, when you've been writing or you've been in a conversation with a friend where you're, you're just free-flowing. It's just yeah. pouring out of you like a, like a jazz musician just, just improvising on the fly. Yeah. And that's, and that's because that jazz musician has front-loaded the thinking because he's gained so much skill and proficiency over the years of practice that he doesn't need to think about whether he needs to hit a C sharp or a, or a G. He can just let his subconscious just, just rip. And that's what the aim is to, to get into a flow state every day. Now, I want to ask you about leaving flow state. Do you have a process to get out of it? Um, yeah, just be distracted. (laughs) (laughs) It's super easy to get out of flow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you literally just, just get up and be distracted. It's the challenge is staying in flow. Yeah. I mean like our our mind, if you think about the way that our minds have been conditioned, man, like, you know, some people talk about your monkey mind, the neuroscientists say that we have 90,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. So every single one of those thoughts is kind of like trying to get us out of flow trying to get us thinking. Um, so it's super easy. To, if, any, if any of the listeners have done meditation, you'll understand how difficult it is to be in this non-thinking phase, but you'll recognize how easy it is to be in like this thinking state. So coming out of flow is definitely not a, not a challenge. I don't actually think it's possible to be in a flow state all the time, and I don't think we've evolved to be in a flow state all the time. That's why we have these different states of consciousness. That's why if you were to put a... Um, a, a, a high-tech sensory system over your brain and you were to monitor yourself throughout the day, you'd notice that you had these different bands of electromagnetic act- activity from like alpha, beta, theta, gamma, delta. And all of these different states represent um, different types of consciousness that help us achieve different things. Mm-hmm. So the flow state happens in this in this sort of alpha, theta land. Um, now, most of us spend most of our waking day in, in a beta brainwave state. And a beta brainwave state is associated with um, analysis and logic and kind of like robust judgment-based 
thinking. So if you were to be like, you know, like a lawyer or, or, or anybody, like, you know, if you were to buy a new camera and start reading the instructions for that thing, or if you were to um, be, a, be in a situation uh, during your day where you really got to think super hard about um, pri- what's, what's a priority or just complex stuff, yeah, where you've got to analyze and, and, and use that rational function of our brains. Then yeah, that's that's not a that's not a time to be in a flow state. The time to be in a flow state is kind of like when you can imagine that jazz musician just just letting fly. When you've gained proficiency over it is the thing that you're doing. Um, that's the time to be in a flow state. So if you're so that, just to use an analogy, let's just say that uh, you've never you've never driven a car before. Okay, mm-hmm. so you actually do not want to be in a state of flow. I mean, it's going to be impossible for you to be in a state of flow because you're because the, the processes that are going on are going to require so much of your brain power right. that you're going to be like constantly thinking about the the, the mirrors and the and, and and the gear stick and the brakes and everything like that. But once you've been driving a car for a, for a while, um, every, so many actions become subconscious. Right. Um, so you can actually enter a state of flow when you're driving. I, I actually do enter a state of flow when I'm driving. Um, and that's just a, a quick example of how your experience level, as your skill level increases, then you can be in more flow. So if you've got a lot of stuff in your life where you're learning a lot, you know, if you're taking on a lot of new learning stuff, then, then yeah, you're naturally not going to be in a state of flow for a lot of that time. Now, is there a difference between flow state and being present? Yeah, good question, man. I think I think being present, the idea of being present, I don't think there's an absolute clear definition for being present, but I've got my own definition for being present. Um, and my definition is when you show up fully so that your four realms of who you are, your emotional, your psychological, your spiritual, and your physical uh, realms, so you show up fully in all, of, in, in all four of those realms. Now, it's a, it's a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a woo-woo definition for some people but it's what i'm what i'm trying to drive at is that it's more than just physical presence now just to get back to your question does that if i am fully present across all four of those realms does that mean i'm in a flow state no it doesn't i can be in a very much a beta brainwave analysis logic reasoning state um, and still be fully present and Jiro, can you give some tips to the listeners? For example, I'm a busy guy and I'm distracted by a lot of things because I have a lot of things going on. And so I do my best to schedule out different times to make sure I'm focused on one thing at a time. So for some listeners out there that may be new at flow state or are new at the idea and trying to get into flow state or mm. bad at getting into flow state, or not mm. develop that talent yet, what are some recommendations that you can give them to get better at it? Okay, step, step number one, like actually prioritize it. Um, and the reason why I say that is because if you don't care enough about it, if it's not a big enough priority in your life, then you're never going to be able to stick to the, to the work of, of cultivating it. And I'm going to help you prioritize it by helping you understand that achieving more flow in your life is actually about way more than performance. It's way more than just being able to uh, get into the, get into the zone. Actually, the trickle down effect of that is you do your best work more consistently, and when you do your best work, you become more confident. When you become more confident, the self doubt 
the insecurities kind of fade away and, you, and instead they get replaced by this kind of like self-belief and confidence in your abilities. So, and, and when you have self-confidence in your abilities, then as, as I'm sure you know, all sorts of awesome stuff happen. You like, you show up in a whole new way, you attract different opportunities, the way you pitch for investment or the way that you speak to your co-founders, the way, every, the way that you live your whole life, you start living in a more confident way. So that's, so first of all, you prioritize uh, the, the training that's involved to live in flow more, okay? Now, secondly, um, flow follows focus. Flow follows focus. So focus is the doorway to flow. So focus is like a muscle. So if you're anything like me, you will have noticed that um, back in the day before there was social media and smartphones, um, you probably used to read more books and you probably used to, uh, like, you know, immerse in, in, in stuff more. Um, and what's happened in, in relatively modern culture is that we've gradually become more distracted to the point where the average YouTube video used to be like 12 minutes long. Now the average YouTube video is like 90 seconds long, <laughs> um, which, follows a, which follows the graph of our attention spans. So training your attention is like, is like training a muscle. And, and I believe that training your attention is the most important work that you can possibly do as a, as a human being, um, especially when you consider things like artificial intelligence and robotics um, and you think about the way that our culture is trending towards. And if you think about the person who has less attention in 10 years' time versus the person who has more attention, like you've got Bob who's, who's got like focus like a Zen monk, and then you've got John, who's scatterbrained and can't can't put his mind on one thing for, for more than 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, who's the one that's going to be pushed out of the marketplace by a robot? Who's the one that's going to drive more value because he can actually immerse in a project and, and give something to that company that no robot ever will be able to? I think the answer is pretty obvious. So, so training your focus um, and the way that you do that is by this thing called mindfulness. Um, so mindfulness is the deliberate cultivation of a state of single-minded awareness where you don't have, you don't have judgment. It's just single-minded awareness of what you're doing. So we're pretty much talking about single-tasking here, single, like intentional single-tasking. So if I'm having this podcast with you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving all of my focus to you. If I get up and I make a coffee, I'm making sure that I just do my, make my coffee, um, but it's about more than just single tasking. It's about becoming aware of where our mind is while we're doing the things that we're doing. So if we're going for a walk, can we go for a walk and just f- choose to focus our mind on one thing? Can we just focus it on the senses, on, on, on what we can hear, on what we can feel, on the mechanics of our body movement? Or do we find that our mind just goes off into thoughtland, thinking about our ex-girlfriend's cat or what flavor pizza we're going to have for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the more that we can actually train it to, to stay on point, the, the higher your level of focus and the more flow you will, live, you will achieve in your life. And I believe the happier and more fulfilled and higher performing you'll be as a human. Jiro, I know you have some great things going on with Flow State Collective. Do you want to mention what products and adventures and retreats that you have going on? Absolutely, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have a program launching um, very soon, middle of next month. It's called Limitless. 
and it's a mastermind program. It's basically a map to how to chart the kind of very confusing areas of self-development and inner growth. So a lot of the concepts that I've been talking about of becoming present, of training your awareness, of developing self-knowledge, um, those are covered in this program. Um, and we actually provide a map of growth to, to help you achieve that. And then we also get into the more tangible realms of planning your most powerful 90 days, planning your most powerful week, planning your most powerful day. Um, and then we get into the realms of how to step up into your full power as a, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, um, and contribute to the world around us. So that's for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial people who are feeling held back by some sort of inner limitation. And that launched in the middle of April. It's called Limitless. And you can go to um, flowtribe.co to find more about that. And then if you want to, um, yeah, if you want to, if, if you're, there's a kind of elite mastermind group that I've been running for a couple of years. This is for founders of, of startups or, or companies with more than five, ten staff. And this is for you if you really want to build a high-performance culture at the business that you're running. Um, if you want to constantly be on a path of self-development, but you actually want to go beyond yourself into building a, a, a culture of excellence and flow in your company. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, then just email me at jiro uh, at theflowstatecollective.com. And then we've got a retreat in Japan launching, uh, which is going to be just like the one I described at the beginning of the, the podcast, which is going to be, uh, we're going to be snowboarding all day and then we're going to be doing uh, brainstorming, uh, flow state sessions. Uh, we're going to be learning about the brain, but we're also going to be doing like just like innovation and, and uh, just like business brainstorming with a whole bunch of entrepreneurial people. Um, and that's going to be March 2018. So we've got a little ways off. Jiro, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom and tips and tricks and teaching us more about Flow State. I really, really appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. And listeners, we're going to sign off there for today. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Talk to you later and goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.